A new president poised to take over a school rocked by scandals. A new stadium for a football team ready to make a comeback. And an inside look at a mainstay of USC Welcome Week, Visions and Voices. Listeners, welcome back to General Education, Daily Trojan's news podcast. I'm Sean Flannelly, this semester's podcast editor. To kick off the new school year, we'll be taking a look at some of the biggest changes coming to USC. One of the biggest changes to USC this year is a shift in leadership, from interim president Wanda Austin to former University of North Carolina Chancellor Carol Folt. I'm joined now by Daily Trojan News Editor Mia Spire, who recently sat down with President Folt to find out where she plans on taking the university. Do you think that we could start off just by talking a little about who is Carol Folt and, and why her? Mm-hmm. So back in March, uh, it was announced that Carol Folt would officially become USC's 12th president. She started her job, I believe, on July 1st. And since then, she's been doing a lot for the university. But I think what's particularly incredible about her appointment is that it was a completely unanimous vote in by the Board of Trustees, which really speaks to the fact that she's a very personable president. Uh, I think she can bring a lot to the university. And specifically, I think she was chosen because of her really lengthy experience in higher education. She comes to us from the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, where there she served as the president for a few years and has dealt with multiple scandals similar to the ones facing our university. And she also, before that, uh, served multiple positions over at uh, Dartmouth. So she has tons of experience. Do you think you could talk about those scandals at UNC, like what they were and how her administration kind of dealt with them? Yeah. So when she was appointed to the chancellor of UNC's flagship campus, uh, she was already inheriting uh, a college marked by scandal, specifically because there was a huge controversy related to NCAA athletics and student athlete involvement at UNC specifically regarding the fact that football players were taking paper classes, which didn't really meet in person, kind of inflated their grades, pretty much were fake academic things to boost their transcript. And so the NCAA launched an investigation into the university. They were hit with quite a few different suits coming from different areas. Uh, There was also a lot of national attention on UNC to fix their athletic practices as well as their academic practices. So she already inherited that whole situation and she was able to actually bounce back from that kind of reunite the university and clean everything up and then the big thing that really happened towards the end of her time at unc was the silent sam controversy and silent sam is a confederate statue on usc's unc's campus that they took down a while ago but the pedestal or the base of the statue still remained and there were quite a few protests um pretty chaotic protests that happened on that campus from activists who wanted to take down the base. And there was a lot of pressure from students uh, to kind of get rid of it. But there was also pressure from the board of governors who said, you know, it's part of our history, leave it up, don't touch it. And so she had to deal with that balancing, taking down the statue in South Carolina or North Carolina. So that was, that was difficult for her. She ultimately did decide to take down the pedestal um, and that led to her resignation. And then I understand, um, even though she did take down the pedestal, she was kind of criticized for for not doing it soon enough. Could you Mm -hmm. talk about that? Yeah. So what was interesting is that when I was doing research about Carol Full and her time at UNC, 
I really relied on the Daily Tar Heel, so UNC's version of the DT, kind of their daily newspaper, to get a sense of what students were feeling. And they released this really interesting op-ed when she was announced as our president that was titled something along the lines of Good Luck USC. And in that, they said that careful, you know, it was a good president. Um, of course, those opinions differ, but specifically with the Silent Sam controversy, uh, she was criticized for taking down the pedestal too late because activists had been really pressuring the university for quite a long time, and she did take her time to come to the decision. While I'm sure it was super nuanced because she obviously had to balance board of governors, student opinion, and all these different points of view, mm -hmm. uh, she was criticized for not being as transparent with the students about her decisions. Specifically with the newspaper, they launched multiple requests for information regarding the university's practices, and they took a really long time to um, answer back or even in some cases didn't answer at all. So that's where that criticism came from. Yeah, and I was struck by that word transparent, particularly because it's something that we've been talking about uh, with the recent BuzzFeed News article and LAist article coming out of uh, Annenberg that really talked about how there's been a lack of transparency among USC. So did she talk to you at all or say anything about, you know, th that might be encouraging that she wants to change this or did she mention that at all? Mm-hmm. I think one of the most uh, striking things about Carol Folt is the fact that she's very student-driven. Um, on the first day that she was announced as president back in March, before she had interviews with the LA Times, the New York Times, any other outlet, she demanded to speak to student outlets first. So Daily Trojan and Inberg Media got that first interview. And since then, she's really carried this idea of putting students at the top of her priorities throughout her presidency, even though it's only been two months so far. Um, Granted that the Daily Trojan did have that second interview, and even then she did emphasize the fact that students are at the top of her list. And so transparency is a really big thing for her, specifically in the way that it involves students and student leaders. She has said that she wants to be more transparent, bring a lot of um, uh, accountability to the university. And in both interviews that I had with her back in March and just two weeks ago, she said that she doesn't have all the answers yet, and I think that's also really important. She doesn't have strict plans. She has no, you know, 20 page agenda, but she's just right now listening to the concerns of students and trying to gather that information. So though there's no concrete plan yet, she still is just gathering um, the concerns of students, which I think is a good first step. And beyond just uh, addressing these scandals or these series of scandals that have occurred at USC, um, what are her broader plans for USC in terms of in terms of changing day to day operations? Yeah, so I think uh, one of her big points is sustainability, and I know that sustainability on USC's campus has been a concern for quite a while now, a concern among people who care, and a con it's not a concern among students who really don't care about sure. sustainability. Um, but for those who do care, and everyone should care about sustainability, she has heard students, and she has heard our concerns, and she's going to do something about it. And during our interview, I said, do you have any strict plans for what that would look like? And she was very honest, which I think is nice, you know, some honesty. She said, no, I don't have any plans, but she did have a pretty good grasp about on what is needed to make us a more sustainable campus. And her background specifically as a scientist is really helpful in that. She studied, um, I think, aquatic biology at UCSB. She went on to receive her master's and her PhD and then was a research and professor over at Dartmouth. So she does have that STEM background, and I think that'll be really helpful in informing her agenda. 
And can students in general expect to see any any changes in, in their day-to-day lives at all um, with this new president change? Yeah, I think it's definitely hard to tell. I know that she is making quite the effort to go out there and be like a woman of the people. Uh, we I've received already, I mean, the whole community has received multiple emails from her saying, I'll be out and about during welcome week, come up to me, shake my hand. She launched her Twitter, her Instagram. And so I think she's really at those beginning stages. Um, you know, we welcome Fultz presidency with optimism, but that's cautious optimism, meaning that we really hope she can bring change to our day-to-day lives. But we don't know what that looks like yet. So I can't say that we will see change, but I know that she does have change at the top of her priorities. Um, and then you mentioned this a little bit in your article, um, but how is student government responding to to this new president and, and to what she says about how she's going to change the administration? Yeah. So I had the pleasure of speaking with USG or undergraduate student government president Trenton Stone. I've spoken to him multiple times in the past. And something that he really brought to my attention is that Carol Fult has a different leadership style. In the past, specifically with President Max Nikias, we saw a leadership style more aimed towards driving the university up in ranks and increasing funding and very numbers-based. And while that is good to an extent, Trenton said that what Carol Fult brings to the table is a values-based leadership. So not necessarily saying that funding and rank is mutually exclusive with values. She does put that kind of more forward or more to the forefront. And so Our student government leaders really like that aspect of her leadership style, and Trenton specifically said that she's done a really great job of communicating with the undergraduate student government so far. They've had multiple meetings since March, and that they're only looking forward to more of that collaboration with the students. Um, And what does student government think of the... um the other people that Carol Folt has brought on into the administration, such as um, the vice president of, of student affairs, who I assume the student government will be working with more closely than they will be working with President Folt. Mm-hmm. So I believe that they talked about how new faces in the administration are really great just so that we can see kind of a diversity of ideas brought to the table. I think that in the past, um, specifically like with student affairs, the provost's office, they've done a really great job with students, but there have been, of course, those tensions, um, whether it's student life or student government, anything like that. But I think what Fult has done a particularly good job of doing so far is bringing really experienced leaders to Bovard. So we have a new communications officer. We have, you know, Winston Crisp, the VP of Student Affairs. We have, you know, so many new faces in the administration that I think a change was so necessary to the extent of whether or not they're going to make great changes is still yet to be seen. But I think that just by having new people in the administration brings some kind of hope to students and student leaders in particular. That's Mia Spire. You can see her work on newsstands or online at dailychurgeon.com. Thanks for joining me, Mia. Thanks for having me. Now I'm joined by Daily Trojan sports editor Nathan Ackerman, who reported on the $315 million renovation of the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum, the first major renovation of the stadium since 1995. How are you doing, Nathan? Good. Thanks for having me on. Could you talk to me a little bit about what they actually changed? Like, what were the what were the actual changes that they made to the stadium? They took out around around sixteen thousand seats to give fans more 
um, leg room or room to move around as the old seats were pretty uh, confining. They, you know, kind of brought the average fan closer to the playing field in place of those uh, 16,000 seats. They put a giant new building called Scholarship Tower where they have new suites, new uh, press boxes, which should all be um, exciting stuff for uh, media and you know, Trojan fans who get to watch games from those suites. They added two new um, HD video boards on either side of the stadium. They added new Wi-Fi. They put in entirely new seats so that the seats are um, nicer now. They're all the same color. The old ones were pretty, you know, not quite, not particularly visually appealing. They um, kind of restructured the outside a, l- a little bit. They kept they kept inta- intact the, you know, the... Uh, Peristyle and the things that made the Coliseum gave it that old-fashioned kind of feel, but yeah, a lot of the changes they didn't they didn't mess with the overall structure of the of the building. They just kind of worked on stuff inside, you know, the the stadium to make it more modern, but also you know keep it keep keep the Coliseum with its with its roots. It's you know a 96 year old uh, stadium, 96, 98, some around that, and you know they kind of wanted to preserve the. The old-fashioned feel that's made the Coliseum such a such a famous uh, spectacle of uh, Los Angeles sports. And did they pull that off? Like, in, in your opinion, when you look at the new stadium, um, does it does it still evoke the same feelings that the old one did? Definitely, yeah. Especially when you look at it from the outside, they, you know, the famous, um, you know, the peristyle in the outside uh, area where you kind of see that and you get the feeling like, wow, I'm at the Coliseum. This is such a uh, historic venue. You definitely get that same kind of feel. It's just when you walk in, you feel like you're at you know, a, a more modern 21st, uh, you know, 20, 2019 actual sports venue that you feel is up to par to be able to host all these different sports um, events, especially with, with the Rams and, you know, uh, SC. It it definitely feels like it's more, more, more geared toward the modern audience, but also feels like it's, you know, still the same old stadium that we've all, you know, come to love. And I know you said that they actually, whereas most renovations like these are focused on, um, on increasing the overall seat count so they, they can uh, have more ticket sales, but this actually decreased it sizably. Could you talk a little about that, what that'll mean for, for the fans and for the players? <clears throat> Some of the players we or one of the players we talked to in the, in the story said that, you know, you walk into um, opposing teams, you know, stadiums and they're like almost entirely full and you feel, you know, you get kind of not intimidated, but you feel like you're in somebody else's house. And that's kind of what, you know, attendance was down at the Coliseum last year, and that's not entirely due to the seat count. It's also, you know, the product on the field wasn't up to its usual standards. But they're hoping that, you know, the decrease in seats can also make the stadium appear a little bit more full because, you, I mean, they had like 94,000 seats, which is a ton to fill for any, you know, any place in any sports team. So now, you know, hopefully the seats will look a little bit more full and will give the team that more, you know, this is our house kind of feel and, you know, it'll make just make the um, environment a little bit more intimidating for the other team. Uh, and what do you think the overall effect will be in terms of the fan base and how the players will feel of of the entire new renovation? You know, the the guy we talked to is the uh, kicker for the team, and he said, you know, we kind of get to build this, uh, you know, tradition. Like this is this is this is our house. This is where we play. This is our you know history and. You know, hopefully they'll be able to continue that and they'll and they'll be able to feel, you know, even more proud of the place that they call home and fans can come to the stadium and not just to expect a good team and a good, you know, game, but they can expect to, you know, enjoy all these new features of the stadium and feel like they're watching a, a game at, you know, a 2019 sports v- uh, venue where they have, 
They have in- improved Wi-Fi. They have all these different new high-tech things that should make fans feel like they're more, you know, it's more of a home environment rather than, you know, they go to this old worn-down stadium where it's like, yeah, we're USC. We play at this thing. It's nice, but it's, you know, not quite up to par with these other, you know, more historic venues. And hopefully they'll be able to, you know, feel a little bit more proud of their home and feel like, you know, this is where USC plays. This is this is our house. And hopefully the team can, um, you know, put a solid product on the field for years to come, too. Um, and then I was hoping you'd talk a little bit about the, the controversy behind um, the name change that was going on. Mm-hmm. Could you just explain what that controversy was and, and how it got resolved? Yeah, so they were they were going to name name the whole stadium the uh, United Airlines Memorial Coliseum. You know, there's a lot of public uh, pushback from, you know, veterans and from the school, too, the school or some higher-ups within the stadium. The people who run the stadium wanted to, you know, balance it more with this, with uh LA and keep it the Los Angeles Memorial and rather than just having it the you know some corporate sponsor name so they compromised and they called it the United Airlines Field at the same old uh, stadium name that LA uh, uh, Memorial Coliseum so they um they kept it the, the same that that way they didn't you know tell how much uh United actually gave them to help with the with the with the coliseum changes but it was you know a a large amount of money so it's kind of hard to say no just to you know keep the sponsor name out of the stadium name so i think they did a pretty good job with keeping you know keeping the um, la specific name but also accepting you know the help that united uh, airlines gave and helping the the, uh, you know the stadium improve so much which is which is good yeah and the last thing i wanted to ask you about um was just you know, it's well known that USC football did not have the best season last year. Right. Um, so could you just talk a little bit about what this change could mean for, for this new season and um, how it might affect uh, th- their state of mind going forward? Right. Well, we talked to the general manager of the of the stadium, and he said, you know, it's it's not just entirely, you know, the changes that are being made to the to the venue. Obviously, the team has to put out a good product there for attendance to come back up. But, you know, should the team put a good product out there, it should be kind of, you know, they should, it should kind of go hand in hand with the, you know, changes to the, to the, to the stadium. They should have, you know, more fans there and then more fans there. The team plays better. The team plays better. More fans come. And then, you know, fans want to come there more because the stadium's so improved. So, you know, the changes to the stadium should help put the fans in the seats in the first place because, you know, now they're like, oh, let's check out the, the new Coliseum, and then they're, and then they're there, which would help the team win some more games, and then, you know, so I think it'll the the renovations will definitely play a role, but what the what the guy told us was, you know, it's pretty much the team's got to play well if the fans are going to come in droves like they like they normally do, and hopefully the team can, you know, help bring the Coliseum uh, attendance up to its usual standards. All right, well, thank you so much for talking to me, Nathan. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Joining me now is Catherine Baclars, a writer for the Arts and Entertainment section. Her first article this semester dives into this year's premiere of Visions and Voices, USC's entertainment event series. How are you doing today, Catherine? I'm doing pretty well. Um, so to start off, could you just explain to listeners who might be unfamiliar what Visions and Voices is? What is the point of it? Okay, so Visions and Voices is the Arts and Humanities Initiative at USC, and it's cool because... You, as a student, or even people in the community, can go and see art shows for free. Um, usually these shows have like some sort of 
uh, thing that you're supposed to learn from it, something you're supposed to take away. It's not just entertainment. It's also like a social uh, statement. And then I understand that you talked to the founder of Visions and Voices. Um, Could you talk a little bit about why she does Visions and Voices, what she told you about it, and uh, what does she believe in in terms of its end goal? Uh, She wants it to bring people together. She wants people to talk about it and uh, to kind of grow from it. It should be like you should be getting the same sort of uh, experience you would get out of a lecture, out of a class. You want to widen your experiences. So that's why um, at the end of most of the Visions and Voices programs, there will be a Q&A sesh or there will be a opportunity to talk with the artists to kind of talk uh, about why they d- decided to start dancing or start um, whatever it is they're doing. And um, she basically said it's to create change and to start to spark discussions. That's why it's Spark. So could you talk to me a little bit about Spark, um, the initial event that, that had already happened last week? Okay, yeah, so Spark is pretty cool because it happens every year during Welcome Week, and it's a way for freshmen and other students to um, get exposed to the Visions and Voices program. Um, Freshmen usually come, they see Javon Johnson at orientation, and that becomes a thing that they want to, a person that they want to see come back every year. Um, it used to be, you, uh, so Yudikovsky said it used to be just a variety show. They'd bring a bunch of people and say, this is what Visions and Voices has to offer for this next season. But since last year, they have really worked on making it a full-length show. So Javon Johnson always comes. Um, they have the two G- DJs, Urban Assault, um, and that's pretty cool because it's a uh, male and female duo. It's Fa- DJ Faust and Shouty. Uh So you said you went to the Spark event. Could you tell me a little bit about how it was, like what you saw there, um, did it did it match the vision that um, that the founder laid out to you when you talked to her? I'd say yeah, it was a really good performance. Um, so Javon talked about uh, relationships and racism, and uh, that one of my favorite poems by him is uh, an unwritten uh, a letter to my unborn daughter or something like that. And he basically does a good job of making people excited about poetry. Um, And then backing up a little bit, is there anything new about Visions and Voices as a whole program this year? Um, Is there anything they're changing or or adding in? So kind of. Last year they started with the Arts in Action program, and that has um, been a way for Visions and Voices to kind of give back to the community. So they did, um, they had their, they partnered with Urban Voices, and they basically worked with a homeless choir to uh, bring a show that was one of the Visions and Voices signature events last year. And then they also had a, another program where they um, they got on bu- they had they partnered with another company or another group of people, and they got on buses, just like random public transportation around LA, and they staged conversations about incarceration. And then people from like the actual like bus passengers started uh, talking with them and kind of engaging in this uh, conversation about incarceration. And they didn't know that it was something, something staged was basically a flash mob. Um, So they're working on more programs like that. And then I imagine that there's a lot of students who uh, maybe hear about Visions and Voices event or or see posters for them. Um, 
but don't really understand what they are or what to expect. Um, could you just talk a little about what students should expect going into this year's round of Visions and Voices events? So you RSVP and then you show up and you stand in line, show up a little bit early. You check in and then you go sit down and then usually there is a conversation beforehand or after depending on what the event is. Like if it's a screening, there will sometimes be a a professor talking about uh, the uh, reasons that opera or that movie or that work of art is important and kind of analyze it a little bit and then you'll just watch it and sometimes there'll be a conversation afterwards, sometimes there won't be. Um, there are also off-campus events, which are pretty cool. Um, they have a walking tour around L.A. where they will talk about some Art Deco stuff. And then they also have plays and stuff that they you can go see stuff at the Amundsen. There's sometimes um, events that are based on a raffle system. So you put your name in when you RSVP, and then you can go see something uh, really cool. Like last year, they uh, had one of those for Dear Evan Hansen. This year, they'll have something for LA Opera. And you basically, it's a good way to go explore LA if you um, are a student and you don't have the means to get around that much. Yeah, I'm just stoked for this new season. All right. Thank you so much for talking to me, Catherine. Thank you. That's it for this week on general education. You can read Mia's, Nathan's, and Catherine's articles online at dailytrojan.com. See you next week. General Education is brought to you by me, Sean Flannelly, as well as Karen Novatia, Aiden Berg, Eileen Toe, Kate Sequeira, and Tomas Nier. 